0: This is Transit Unplugged, I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast heard in 100 countries around the world and now ranked among the top 200 podcasts in the world by Chartable. Thank you for being with us again this week on Transit Unplugged In-Depth. On today's episode, I talked to Steve Poftak. He's the general manager and chief executive officer of the MBTA, the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority in Boston, Massachusetts. I spoke to him here after both of us had speaking engagements at the Smart Transit Conference, and I talked to him about all the things happening at the MBTA, massive capital investments happening in the service. They used the opportunity of the COVID light ridership to do some big state of good repair projects and shut down some lines a little longer than normal. We talked about what they're doing to shore up the employee base. They have a thousand vacancies at the MBTA, 300 of which are bus driver positions. We also talked about changing the model of commuter rail. MBTA is one of the largest commuter rail services in the nation, operated by Keolis, and they've changed it now away from just commuter rail to what they're calling regional rail with more midday service. And they're seeing even weaker. Weekend service now higher than it was pre-pandemic. It's a great model for the rest of the country. They've also got a bus network redesign going on and uh, they're buying ads at the fuel pump encouraging people, hey, get on the bus. Great stuff happening here in Boston at the MBTA with Steve Poftak, General Manager, on today's episode of Transit Unplugged In-Depth. Today I'm excited to be in Boston and talking to Steve Poftak, the general manager and CEO of MBTA, the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority, the transit agency here in Boston. Steve, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, you just spoke. We're here at the Smart Transit Conference, and uh, I was very intrigued by all the things you said, and I can't wait to dig in.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. We're doing a lot of fun, interesting stuff here. We're watching people come back to the system. We're serving the people who've been here the whole time. So, yeah, happy to explore That's great. Idea.
0: So tell us a little bit about, let's talk about MBTA itself, maybe the history, what it is, all that stuff. And then I want to talk about your history. So tell us some about the agency. Sure.
1: MBTA, depending on who's doing the counting, is the fourth or fifth largest transit agency in North America. We've got light rail, heavy rail, commuter rail. At least that's how we think of the the three distinctions. Paratransit, bus. What am I missing? Ferry. Ferries. And I think that's it. Yeah, that's
0: great. I think you might be the most multimodal system in the country.
1: We do. Yeah. Uh, no interest in expanding beyond. So the gondola, the gondola industry <laughs> can, uh, can can save their money.
0: Yeah. Or uh, what do they have in Pittsburgh going up the hill? What do they call Hopefully that? I believe that's a hair.
1: funicular. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we're, I think we're good.
0: Okay. And then um, uh, tell us about yourself, son, your background. You've been CEO now for over three years here, but by all reports, doing an amazing job. Uh, maybe tell us how the agency is structured to at the end of that about the state agency and all that
1: sure we are um i guess you know i i my initial engagement with the mbta was in 2015 uh when i was appointed to the fiscal and management control board Mm -hmm. which was put in place after a horrific winter here in boston that really took its toll we all remember that
0: story yes
1: yes that really took its toll in the mbta um i started out as board member vice chair of that board uh served on that for uh a number of years I did a stint in 2017 for 10 weeks as interim general manager okay kind of got got my feet wet got interested in the job uh the job then uh came open and I started uh January 1st uh, 2019 so I've been I've been in the post now almost three months, three years, three months. And are you appointed by Charlie Baker? Or- um, I am appointed by the Secretary of Transportation. Okay. Um, Just like who on. at that point was Stephanie Pollack, yes. and the Secretary of Transportation is appointed by the governor.
0: Okay, gotcha.
1: Do you have a board? I do. Uh, the board has changed. I started. I started out. I left the Fiscal Management Control Board. Came over. To, Came over to be general manager. Fiscal Management Control Board uh, stayed in place for a period of time. We just had a new board constituted last year. Okay. Uh, so we are going through the motions of uh, now having kind of a more formalized board of directors operating. I think at a, l- a little bit higher altitude uh, in terms of uh, in, in in terms of the type of work they're engaged in. But obviously grateful uh, grateful for everyone's service uh, who served on the FMCB a little self-serving, given that I was on it as well, but, you know, obviously was able to take the agency uh, from, you know, what was a very, very tough position and get us on a much more solid foundation.
0: Yeah, that's great. Boston's such a great city with such a great history. It's like an iconic American city. Uh, A lot of people around the world and the country, though, when they think Boston still had this, there was a term called the big dig. Can you tell us what that was and what's happening now? It still looks like there's a lot of construction going on around here.
1: Boston is <laughs> booming, right? Yeah. There's surely a construction boom. boom. The Big Dig essentially took what was a huge surface artery, multi-level surface artery that stretched the city, and put it underground. Roads for people to drive on. For roads and put it underground. The story there is the original. And I'll it's, forgive me if some of these figures are only directionally yeah, exactly. accurate, but. You know the the story there is it, it's it's impacted transportation funding um essentially forever it started out as a two to three billion dollar project kind of at the cost estimate stage it ended up being a 14.625 billion dollar project Wow! it also started out as one that had a fairly minimal local match to federal funding about halfway through the project, the feds turned the spigot off. Mm. Uh, so to get to that $14.625 billion spending number, the state had to put up billions that it did not plan to put up in the beginning. And one cannot really, its you cannot, I don't think you can rationally stop a project like that halfway through. Right. right, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it, it, the, the impact of that decision, and it's obviously had huge positives for the area. Yeah. Um, but Is it also, done now? It is done. It okay. is done. It's been, it's been done for a number of years. Right, I saw it, yeah. But the you know the the funding issues that came with it have reverberated. Oh, yeah. uh, but it has also sort of helped parts of the city, including where we're sitting right now. The seaport now has ready access to the, the east, the major east west corridor, uh, the Mass Pike. So it's you know it, it, it's had a bunch of impacts. Uh, many of them positive. That's good. Do your buses run on the too? And they? You go in the tunnels. Uh, we can go in the tunnels, yeah. yes. We have some uh, we have some service that, uh, that that utilizes both the pike and utilizes kind of this area here that is configured around a part of the big dig.
0: Yeah. Tell us about the scope of your service. we kind of talked about the modes, but give us a, a feeling of the size, how many buses you have, how many
1: trains, that kind of stuff, and how many employees the agency has, all that. Sure. We've got about sixty four hundred employees uh, working directly under the MBTA umbrella. Okay. We also have a number of services, commuter rail, and uh paratransit uh and ferry are all operated by third-party operators any given day we've got about 3,000 people working as contractors so uh, 10,000 people under under the the you know the the big umbrella in terms of the level of service we have about 600 uh subway cars across our light and heavy rail on um on commuter rail um i think we have Roughly 90 locomotives in the fleet on any given day. About 60 of them are out in service. Got over 1,000 buses serving, it's not quite, but almost 7,700 bus stops. Uh, on the ferry side of the house, there's 12 ferries. Three of them belong to the T. Nine of them belong to our uh, our operator, which okay. is Boston Harbor Cruises. That's great. Did I leave anybody out? I guess I left out on uh, paratransit. We have about 800 vehicles on paratransit, uh, and that's operated uh, under contract uh, by Veterans Transportation and National Express.
0: Oh, yeah, I know those guys.
1: And does Keolis do your commuter rail still? Yes, I left that out. Yes, Keolis runs commuter rail. uh, You know, they're roughly give or take 2,000. Employees, so yeah. pretty substantial operation. Four hundred route miles. It's a yeah, big, it it's is. a big, pretty big system. David Scory is a pal of mine, and okay. David, David, uh, he ran it for a while, right? He's moved on. Yeah. Uh, he's he's, he's, he's no longer, wheel. yes, he's no longer a general manager. Uh, but David was a great partner, and uh, we're really excited to work with uh, the new general manager, okay. Della Charaj, who's under, been under the Keolis umbrella, but is, is yeah. joining us here in Boston now.
0: Well, what are the big issues uh, in transit now in Boston?
1: You know, I think for us, the, big, the biggest issue, I guess, in the, you know, kind of short and medium term is how do we get, uh, how do we hire enough people to get the service levels where we want them? Uh, people are coming back. Uh, they may not come back at, with the same frequency that they did. We find we're ga- gaining more riders than rides, I guess, is, is, is kind of one phenomena. The person who would come back and reliably travel 20 times a month may only be traveling five or 10 times a month. Um, so due to like the change work schedules people have now where they don't have to go into the office as much. Yeah. There's a lot more flexibility in certain jobs, right? Yeah, other right. jobs, uh, other jobs are, you, one cannot drive a bus from a, uh, on a zoom call, right? That's right. One, <laughs> yeah. one has to be in the bus. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's plenty of people who, who show up every day. Uh, but there's a definite, um, you know, there's this definite phenomenon. People are coming back. It's one of the, it's the tightest labor market we've ever seen. Isn't um, it amazing? The MBTA used to have uh, thousands of people on lists. Yeah, uh, lined low, up
0: to work here, right? Lined
1: up to work, and we are doing everything we can. We have an extensive public relations campaign. We are paying bonuses. We've raised, uh, we've raised the pay rate for trainees. Uh, we're doing everything. I we think can. That is.
0: I mean, what's your thoughts on it? I've talked to other people. Everybody's got different opinions.
1: But. Tight labor market um i think we you know we are trying we're trying to communicate the value proposition of the MBTA we're a stable long-term employer we're not going to lay off after christmas good benefits uh, good benefits yeah. you know retire with a pension opportunity for advancement we're trying to really sell that value proposition we are competing with you know other entities out in the marketplace who I think are, at least in the short term, as equally aggressive on pay and bonuses as we are, maybe that don't have the long-term benefits, and that's what we're trying to sell, and that also um, are um, I, I don't have the same requirements around drug testing that we do. Um, to be clear, I am wholly in favor of those requirements. I mean, yes, this is yeah. not me advocating for any type of, of relief, but it is it is a competitive yeah. Differentiation competitively, particularly in a state where marijuana, you know, there's a level of le- marijuana is by and large legal.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to mention that some people are advocating in our industry that we should at least remove marijuana possession convictions as a bar to working for trans. I won't ask you a position on that, but that you know, a kind of like just a reality thing. You know, that's that's where we're at now. And a lot of states are actually, I think in Maryland where I'm at, people have introduced bills to. Expunge that from people's records so it could be can't be against them, yeah. So, um, well, that's yeah, so that's a hot topic. You, you told you said in the speech in there you could use a thousand people right now, right?
1: That's right, and yeah. 300 of those are bus drivers, okay. And in fact, we we have budgeted and planned for a, a complete redesign of the network to add lots of high frequency service to get to that, yes, to get to that goal. I mean, it's, it's, it's very practical, right? To get to yeah. that goal, we need people to drive the buses. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's so, um, yeah. it's not, at least in the short and medium term, it's not about funding. It's not about equipment. It's about drivers.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk to you for a minute about commuter rail. Uh, so you have, you know, one of the nation's biggest and most well known commuter rail systems. Um, and you were telling me that you've kind of shifted, the, you were telling the crowd in there, you've shifted away from being really a commuter rail to more like a regional rail. And you've seen ridership go up on weekends. Seven of your 14 routes have more people riding now than they did pre-pandemic. I mean, that's awesome, Steve.
1: Yeah. It's, it, you know, this shift has been great. Um, so it's gone from kind of that pure play commuter rail where you're really focused on maximizing the number of trains coming in around the peaks and you're distributing service throughout the day. In the old model, we would have gaps on certain lines of two to three hours where there was no service, right. uh, you know, I think, I think what, it, you know, what we're seeing is by having regular service every hour, it makes, it makes it more legible and understandable for the consumer. I'm a dyed in the wool transit guy. And I'm, you know, I would used to fumble with the timetables yeah, to figure yeah. out, you know, these odd hours. Now I know, for instance, the, you know, where I currently pick up uh, commuter rail Half past the hour, right? I know consistently throughout the day, and I can, you know, and, and that sticks in my head. And I can do it. It also, I think, tracks with different commuting patterns. People are not necessarily working nine to five. In some jobs, particularly jobs that uh, the, the the passenger base for commuter rail has a has a, a I'd say a large proportion of people may be using the office as a location, just as they use their home as a location. They may be doing coming yeah. in from meetings from 10 to 2 or right. maybe coming in from 7 to 3 and then they right. go home and they work from 4 to 6 at home that having regular service gives our customers options
0: that's great you won an award i saw uh, in 2020 the uh, the frequency award the best covid service redistribution plan
1: which was for uh, for all the work we did on on bus and our uh, our bus planning team did an unbelievable job of focusing on where the riders were and it, yeah. it, it we, we may have many of us may be trying to forget 2020 but if you <laughs> if you can think back to that right huge demand for social distancing at yes. that time yes um, and what we were able to do was get more service onto routes and we also build, we were able to build with the technology we have the ability to track crowding on buses and set a crowding threshold uh, the old crowding threshold was 48. The new crowding threshold we put in place in 2020 was 20, uh, which essentially allowed you three feet of distance, which was the, at that point the World Health Organization guidance. Um, but it allowed us to monitor where crowding was and also monitoring ridership. We did, we did shut down a number of routes that didn't have ridership, and we repositioned those vehicles to the places where we were seeing crowding. Um,
0: have all those uh, limits been lifted now? I mean, are you back to full ridership? we
1: yeah we we no longer you know we no longer adhere to that 20 is crowded standard yeah. um we're not seeing very much crowding very limited crowding um with um with the with the old kind of with the old but now new standard yes. 48 is crowded the places where we see the most crowding is uh typically we run a couple routes that serve schools uh so we get kind of a peaking yes. issue yeah. um and many thanks to the uh students uh from the boston public schools who text me to let me know that the bus is too crowded um and so part of that is you've got a peaking issue part of that is ties back into the the person power right right right? we need more operators um we definitely want to provide that service uh we just need to get the bodies to do it
0: you did a a full bus network redesign or are you doing one now
1: we're yeah we're in the process the kind of the the analytical legwork has been done, and now we're doing the initial community and stakeholder engagement to get people's, people's opinions, people's thoughts. Yeah, um, we went
0: through all that involved with Kevin Quinn, my planning director, is now like led that whole effort, 200 public meetings, all that kind of stuff. Then you readjust, minimize the... I always say, whenever you have a great initial action, you anticipate what the blowback's going to be, then adjust it slightly to minimize that blowback so you can institute it, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, then we're in the we're in that adjustment process, and I yeah. think that's something we're open to, right? Yeah, like, I don't good. think we've ever, I don't think we've ever put forward that we we know everything, and right. our, our 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 customers and frankly our operators also yes. share with us a great deal of insight about you know you should be thinking of this, not that. This is yeah. the travel pattern I see. So the game plan is to have that. When do you think it's going to roll out in phases? Okay, um, over the next couple of years, oh, okay. we're going to start. You know, we're we're going to start. Kind of making changes on a, on a quarterly basis, uh, hopefully starting uh, next calendar year. Okay. But um, so just to soothe people who may yeah, be listening, yeah. like there there's no no big changes right there's now. no moment where you wake up on Monday and uh, everything is different.
0: That's so, what we did. That's what Houston did. You know, and a lot of other yeah. cities. We call it rip the Band-Aid off overnight. It's a big change, man. I'd, pro- I'd be interested to see how that how that works as opposed to this other approach. Going back to the buses again. Um, you've, like airlines and like many transit agencies, you've like improved your uh, air circulation on the buses through all this, your cleaning procedures. Tell us a little about that. And you know, all these Imperial College studies coming out of Great Britain and other places showed that people are not getting COVID on buses or on trains, it's just not happening. Uh, and so it's maybe one of the safest places to be actually. Can you talk to us about that, what you're doing and what your results are. Sure, and I, yeah.
1: I think you point to one of the maybe one of the more frustrating aspects of, of COVID is, you know, for whatever reason there was a the you know, there's a great deal there was a great deal of fear and I you know, I think our friends in the media were not always helpful. I always cringe when I would see an article on COVID and there would be a picture of a bus and I would always <laughs> Yeah, that's say, the example. Say, like, the, the, the bus has no. Re- the, the bus is. Th- th- there's no mention of bus in the story itself. Mm. For some reason, whoever is picking the stock photos picked that. Uh, not not helpful to our industry clearly. Right. Uh, you know, we instituted cleaning procedures where we had buses disinfecting. You know, buses disinfected and cleaned. Yeah, and making right. Making sure people understood the distinction between the two on a daily basis. Uh, when we were at the height of it, um, we actually had buses being cleaned when they laid over midday. Right. We also did, uh, we brought in fogging. Um, oh, we really? Do, we would do fogging uh. every two weeks. Uh, I know other places worked with um, UV lamps. We kind of, yes. we tested UV lamps, we tested fogging. We, we decided to go with, with fogging. Um, you know, we, we did rear door boarding for a while. Uh, I think until we kind of had the confidence that the public health data was there that we could begin to yes. do front door boarding, we installed dividers uh, for all of our operators on light rail and bus. All the other vehicles have separated cabs, uh, so we were able to build dividers so that they had separated cabs. You know, obviously we still have the mask mandate in place, uh, but you know, I, one 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 would expect barring any changes that at some point that that goes away yeah but i mean as you said i think the evidence suggests transit was not uh was was not a factor in the spread of covid and i think that's that's globally right places with widely varying uh vaccination rates widely varying mask regimes and public health regimes there's really no evidence that there's been any significant spread through transit
0: yeah so I think things are looking up. Let's let's shift our views now to the future of what's happening here. I want to ask you about a few things. One is your significant capital investment that you've been doing. I think that's awesome, Steve. Tell us about that and what the game plan is.
1: Sure. We have, um, you know, we have been able to ramp up our capacity to deliver capital programs. We've also, I think, in, I would say, in communion with our customers, sort of gotten people used to more. Dramatic closures of the system, where we would do, you know, a week-long closure of a portion of a line, yes. which lets you get so much more work done. Right? Mm-hmm. The the idea that you can set up work for two hours and tear down right. and overnights and yeah. fix a system the size and scale of the MBTA is not reasonable.
0: And, and you had a window of opportunity to do it during the peak of the pandemic, right? When service wasn't running as much anyway?
1: We took advantage of lower ridership rates, uh, which makes it a lot easier. You know, if you're running a bus shuttle for 20% of pre-COVID ridership, uh, it's a lot easier to run yeah. that. For and, and as more riders come, come, come back, it becomes more challenging, but we are committed to fixing the system. And I'm hopeful that people are seeing improvements as a consequence of this investment. I think one of the most dramatic ones is going to happen this Monday uh, when we open the Union Square branch of the Green Line extension. Green Line extension is a $2.3 billion project that has been, it's been on the drawing boards for decades at this point. One of the dignitaries at the groundbreaking that I had the pleasure of attending said i have five shovels from uh, from green line extension <laughs> green groundbreaking line. Yeah. uh and it's you know i think it's a it, it's a special moment for us yeah to sort of bring everybody back and say again. okay you, there were five groundbreakings right the, you know this now team, we're there yeah this team got it done uh, which it is really awesome. extraordinary
0: yeah you had did i see a center lane bus lane as the only one in America, or New New England, or something, England. tell me about that.
1: Yes, yeah. we have a wonderful center-running bus lane on uh, on Columbus Ave in Boston, and we were able to open it up. Um, I guess it was uh, September of last year. Uh, it's the only one in New England, so we're really pleased, and we're also going to be extending it. Uh, so it uh, it works. It works great. It's helped improve service. You know, we've done customer surveys. People are finding the service faster and more reliable, and that is that is the promise of, uh, of bus lanes. So we're hopeful that we we feel that we have built momentum around bus lanes and yeah. that we'll be able to continue that momentum.
0: How do you enforce them, uh, by the
1: way? Uh, it's a combination of uh, transit police and local police. Okay. Uh, you know, I think my experience has been when you when you first put the bus lane in— it is it is a period of adjustment. Sure. There's people in the lane. There's people to make and U-turns. I think as people get used to it and acclimated to it, um, you you have much fewer enforcement issues.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, tell us about uh, federal funding. So, um, you know, there was um, there's been a lot of big announcements coming out of Washington after after a reauthorization act was passed as part of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, uh, and. As you and I were talking about prior to coming on the air, I really feel like um, the federal government has realized that they have a more continuing um, responsibility to fund operating dollars for public transit agencies because, like your agency did during the peak of the pandemic, the folks who were considered essential workers—the ones running the hospitals and the water plants and all that stuff—they rode our services, our bus services, and really, transit is essential. It's not just um, not just you know a choice people have to ride transit so the federal government has figured out this is a national priority which i'm super excited about how has that helped you in your funding levels and what's it look like going let's say in the next year or two How's funding look
1: the um just to illustrate your point when we were in sort of the depths of the pandemic right and i would say that you know april, think about april and may of 2020 right i yeah. didn't know that much about covid right i think there was a great deal of uh well-founded fear about what this could be and Almost, you know, most people who had any options were, were not venturing out. You know, mm-hmm. we, were, we were getting over a 1,000 senior taps a day, right? And those are people, if you think about the seniors in your life and yes. how they conducted themselves right. during that period of time, these are people who needed to be out, right? Yeah, They're exactly. going to grocery stores and healthcare and and family, right? They are truly among the most transit-dependent. So I think it, 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 it amplifies your point. Uh, In terms of federal funding, we have gotten almost $2 billion in operating support. Uh, That is enough, uh, barring any unforeseen extraordinary expenditures, that is enough to get us at least through the next fiscal year and somewhere into fiscal year 24. okay. And then I think we have to have a, a, a discussion, first of all, we'll know a lot more about ridership levels then. right. Because right? right now we're we're, we're guessing. Uh, they're educated guesses, but we're guessing what rider, you know we're, we're, we have some solid projections, but they're only projections. So we'll know a lot more about what ridership levels will look like. And then I think it is a conversation about what is the appropriate funding structure for the T going forward, and obviously we'll you know we'll see, we'll see what the level of uh, what the level of engagement is at the federal level for that type of support.
0: Were you one of the 35 cities recently that got the extra bump from HARPA?
1: We did not qualify for the extra bump uh, from ARPA, but um, I am pleased. We just got five million dollars uh, for uh, work on, uh, on on one of our bus facilities. Oh, that's good. And we're going to actively, you know, everyone everyone is uh, everyone is sort of scanning their emails constantly for the no-foes yeah, from yeah. <laughs> uh, from FTA. We really want to compete. We think we're well positioned. We've tried to we've tried to think strategically about. Making sure that we have projects at different stages in the life cycle for these competitive programs, mm-hmm. so we really want to compete for that.
0: On the commuter rail side, you'd mentioned in your speech that um, you're moving to put in gates now at a lot of your commuter train hubs. That's uh, that's pretty unique. Tell us about that.
1: We, uh, you know, one of the one of the frequent complaints we got uh, from commuter rail riders, particularly pass holders, where our passes depending our passes are distance based. So depending on where you are riding in from, you could have a pass that cost three or $400 a month. Uh, one of the issues we had was fare non-collection. Uh, and that might be a case where, uh, again, pre-COVID, this was a, a much more acute problem right. pre-COVID, where you had packed trains where conductor simply doesn't have time to collect fares and operate the doors station to station. Um, it is not feasible across a system of our breadth to have fair collection have gated fare collection at every single station because some of these stations frankly don't have a lot of volume and are not they're not configured like a subway station they're configured right. uh, like a commuter rail station so what we've done is we've uh, we're going to put fare gates first in north station then south station back bay uh, so that uh, over 70% of our customers then will interact with the fare gate every day either getting on or getting off and we think that's the most efficient way to try to deal with this problem, um, that doesn't, you know, I don't think it's realistic for us to put fare gates out in in many of the uh, many many locations on the commuter rail.
0: As we record this today, a big issue across America is increasing fuel prices. Gas, you know, paying at the pump, it's going up a lot. Uh, but this is just like we talked about earlier. It's a crisis, but it's I think it's an opportunity for public transit to encourage people to get back on the bus. Um, One of the things that was really cool that you mentioned there that you're doing is you're actually buying some of the video ads at the fuel pump to tell people, hey, you you just paid four fifty a gallon, you can get on a bus for less than that.
1: (laughs) And I should say we we put this program in place before fuel prices escalate escalated. So I don't I don't want to be viewed as opportunistic or or being spirited. Um, but it's, you know, it's been a wonderful initiative by our customer experience team. I, I think you're hugely creative. I, yeah. It was not my idea. It was, uh, it was the team's idea. Uh, but it's a great way to reach people at that, what is now kind of an acute pain point. Right. Uh, as you fill up your tank, uh, giving sort of planting the seed, hey, the tea is here. Uh, And we've tried to combine that with some of our other messaging about the relative safety of riding, public transit, and also all the things that are happening, the cleaning, the air circulation, trying to sort of get people who might be choice riders to think about taking the T.
0: Yeah, maybe it'll help us get some riders back. I guess my last question is, you know, more future-oriented, what do you see as the future here at the T and also for our industry of public transportation? I mean, you're CEO of one of the top transit systems in America. Give us a view of where you think we're going as an industry.
1: I mean, I think we're at a moment of tremendous opportunity. And I think for us, a lot of this is execution. We are adding capacity on the red and orange line, our two largest subway lines. Um, We're planning to add capacity on the green line in the longer term. We're reconfiguring our bus network and we're adding capacity. We're also putting in the foundational elements to electrify service as well. Uh, And we're doing some long-term thinking about the future commuter rail. I think, you know, I think we have a lot to offer. It's a very complicated set of things to execute on, but yeah. I think every time we make those step changes in service, we're going to bring people back onto the system. So we look forward to we look forward to making that all happen for our customers.
0: That's great. And what about like just generally for the industry, are there any things you see coming for transit agencies across America?
1: I mean, I think there's going to be, um, you know, I think right now there's a robust conversation around fares. I continue to think, you know, I continue to think, at least for the T, the way we're configured, the T is a, the, the fares are a foundational element for us. But I think, you know, I think there's some some interesting thinking there. Um, I, You know, I, th- I, I think the continuing challenge of capital investment um, is is one that is going to challenge right now. Funding is less of a concern for us. And it's more about actually being able to get the work done while providing the transportation that people want. So you know, I I think there's exciting things happening in transit. I think we can, I think we can improve our service to an extent where we're really going to attract a lot of people back. Uh, You know, I showed one slide where when we changed not only the schedule but the frequency on commuter rail. We instantly saw a, a jump in ridership. I think we can do that across other modes. We just need to execute.
0: Yeah, and as I mentioned there, uh, I think it's a model for commuter rail across the world. What you've done here. I mean, what's your ridership back up to, to pre-pandemic
1: now overall? Ridership. Well, we we hit a peak of about fifty-seven thousand, and then Omicron hit. Oh right, right. We're now you know we're now probably thirty-five, forty thousand, but the slope of the line is. Sh- is yeah, up, is up. Uh, people That's wonderful. people are clearly coming back, so mm-hmm. we're uh, you know we we look forward to serving. Excellent, Steve Poftak, General Manager of MBTA. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today and
0: sharing all the great things you're doing here at the T.
1: Well, thanks so much. We appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged in depth with our special guest Steve Poftak of the MBTA. The next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, we have Mr. Luke Richard of Quebec City Transit, or RTC, from Quebec City, Quebec. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, email us anytime at info at So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.